Welcome to the Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I am your guest host today, and here is our theme for the hour. And I am going to get into how the increasingly unhinged movements to tear down anyone and anything that does not conform to the constantly mutating standards of wokeness is not only useless against this system and the rising fascism, but is actually serving to fuel it. By the end of my talk, I aim to make clear that between woke identity politics on the one hand and real revolution on the other, there are two radically different and opposed understandings of the problem that humanity faces, two radically different and opposed methodologies and moralities, and two radically different and opposed visions of the world that we should be fighting for and that is actually possible. One requires work, intellectual courage, real struggle and sacrifice, but can open the door to human emancipation. The other is degrading, cowardly, and lazy, and only accelerates humanity's current trajectory towards untold horror. That was just a tiny taste of the thematic of a major talk that I gave at UCLA a week and a half ago called Woke Lunacy versus Real Revolution. And this is part of a campaign that I and other Revcoms are taking up to pierce through what is a suffocating and really harmful outlook and framework of thinking that is dominant on the college campuses, that is causing great harm among the arts and intellectual life of this country and in the cultural life of this country and has people caught up canceling each other, seeking safe spaces and trigger warnings to hide from the nightmare that is this system that we live under, rather than getting out of our comfort zone, looking at the world as it actually is in all its ugliness and horrific oppression, and daring to confront it and to cancel not the people, but cancel the system itself. So in this speech, I go into the American chauvinism, the parasitism, the privilege of sitting in this country trying to seek a safe space for oneself while the world burns through the climate destruction, while nuclear war is being threatened, while people's lives are being ground up to give us the food we eat, the clothes we wear, all of this. And I challenge the notion of trying to change the faces on this system to get more black and brown and trans and queer and representative faces within the same rotten system, system of capitalism, imperialism, system of global exploitation and plunder, rather than uniting people from every background, walk of life, every quote-unquote identity group to stand together in unity to fight to get rid of this system. And I go hard at the idea that is propagated and so dominant today that there's no such thing as objective reality. There's just my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth. No, there is one unified objective reality that everybody of every identity can come to understand using the tools of science. And if we want to change the world in a radical and liberatory way, not just for ourselves or even just for people in this country, but for humanity as a whole, we have to understand it as it actually is. So this is the major thematic of the talk that I gave and I juxtaposed woke lunacy with real revolution, scientifically grounded 
and I bring to bear and I'm working within the framework of the new communism that has been forged by the revolutionary leader Bob Avakian and the incredible work that he has done taking on woke lunacy, which you can find at revcom.us. So this is the major talk that I gave, and it's part of an ongoing campaign that I'll be telling you more about in the weeks and the months to come as we take this across the country. But I broadcast the whole talk for you last week on this show, and this week, to follow up on that, I want to bring you the question and answer period that followed that presentation. There was about 125 people packed into the room. In that room was a microcosm of this society. We had MAGA, fascist, young people putting forward misogyny and, and objectively white supremacy and American chauvinism. We had wokesters who were very upset, tried to crash the talk. Some of them stormed out during the question and answer. I'm not broadcasting that part because it contained curses too many to put on the radio right now, um, from them to be clear. Uh, but it also included a lot of thoughtful people who are often suffocated and silenced by the way that the fascists and the woke uh, wokesters reinforce each other and intimidate and silence a lot of a lot of important searching and debate to understand the world, searching for the source of the problem and daring to act to change this. So what I'm going to bring you today is the bulk of the question and answer because it was so rich and I hope you enjoy it. Um, and we want to break this open, this kind of thoughtful engagement throughout society. That's what we did in that hall and that's what I'm sharing with you today. And that's what this campaign is going to do as we continue to go forward. So let's listen to the first question. So without further ado, let's uh, get into the question and answer session. All right. Um, why don't we start uh, right here? Go ahead. Uh, we're gonna bring a mic to you so okay. everybody can hear. Um, thank you. No, it doesn't work actually. But I don't think it's on. It does? There you it go. Does. Thank you very much for this talk. Uh, I had a question, but now I doubt I'm a walkster or not. Like, but like, I have a question for you. Is like, um, from my country, France, like, walk has been a, a concept, a lexicon that has been constructed by, constructed by the conservatives to discredit like anti-racist, like, or queer or anti-patriarchal uh, thought. And I wondered how can you construct and build a left-wing communist revolution if you use the lexicon and the words. Uh, that has been constructed by conservative people, and that's basically my question. Like, do you like do you, do you think those words are like who constructed those wor words in America, and how can revolution be thought with the words that are not constructed by Marxists, for instance? Thank you very much. Um, I'm gonna start by using a bunch of words that were not constructed by Marxists, like. You use the microphone, we didn't make up that word. She's walking up the stairs, we didn't make up that word. Words describe, if they're, if they're useful, they describe something that's objectively real. And I start, and I think we all need to start, if we want to change the world, with reality. You can't start with who used the word, who made it up. Is woke a phenomenon? And we say in this big piece up here, woke is a destructive force in the ethical, moral, intellectual, cultural life of society, we say in this piece, woke in its roots came out of the black vernacular and mainly meant being aware of racial oppression 
but it has long since morphed into something that is very radically different. And when we talk about woke lunacy, we're talking about the people who stormed in here but don't have the courage to come and make an argument for their position. They just try to shut it down. We're talking about the canceling and erasing of murals. This is not something that's been invented by the fascists. It's being seized on by the fascists, and they are clumping all kinds of things that are legitimate cries for justice as also woke and, under, and deserving of attack. But because they use it and also misuse it does not mean it's not a real phenomenon. We have to start with reality. And if we don't do that, then we will never address what's really going on. Um, I mean, there's actually a lot of preoccupation with language and word changing and who made up a word and where does it, who signi what the word signifies. And we say also in here, the last thing I'll say on this is word changing an obsession over words is no substitution for world changing and looking at the actual reality. So woke is a real phenomenon. We have to name it because it's, being, it's doing something highly destructive in all the ways I described, and it's doing it in the name of the oppressed. And when fascists do destructive things, a lot of decent people go, oh, that's outrageous. But when people do this woke lunacy in the name of the marginalized or the oppressed, and they marshal their and commodify oppressed identity, they intimidate and silence decent people. And so it's really doing a destructive thing. It has to be named. It has to be called out. Um, yeah, right here. Hey, um, I didn't come here with an agenda. Um, I'm just a little bit disappointed with a couple of things, and I want to address it super calmly. Um, I think you build a foundation of your speech on working against identity politics. Mm -hmm. Yet, um, I think so conveniently, and it was kind of ignorant, that all of your examples of oppression or people going through struggle were all from the black community. So if you could so conveniently use one specific ethnicity to kind of propagate your ideals, is that not identity politics in itself? Uh, that's my first question. My second question is, um, you spoke about how um, oh, the upward mobility of certain people in marginalized communities doesn't matter because they're kind of uh, still propagating like these oppressive structures. But since you're so empathetic to the, the rights and the, the, the ways that black people feel, are you disregarding the, the kind of role models that Nelson Mandela was or like Martin Luther King was or J even like a Jay-Z was, right? Like people that made progress in their communities and inspired people to do better are somehow not, not appreciated now because they're like, like fulfilling someone, some oppressor's needs, which didn't make sense to me. Um, I feel like, yes, there's a lot of stupidity on the far left that needs to be addressed, but fighting it with more stupidity is not going to help, right? We need to fight with, cons with, with compromise and reason. And just throwing the word science around doesn't make it rational. It's just like, no, no, like <laughs> I'm sorry if this sounds offensive, but I study science and engineering, and nothing was scientific in the first half of the conversation. It was just, oh, I'm going to abuse the fact that one certain community went through a lot of bad things in my country, and I'm going to use that to kind of propagate what I feel about them, right? Which, which sounded a little ignorant, in my opinion. So I just want to know your views on that. Well, let me start with your first question, which is that you allege I only spoke about what black people face in this society, and that that's a form of identity politics. In fact, it is not. First of all, I spoke about the Bangladeshi women in the sweatshops sewing our clothes. I talked about women who've been forced to have children against their will in that form of enslavement. I spoke about trans people who have faced over 500 laws this year introduced or passed. Not to mention the terror that's enforced against them. I spoke about what happens on this planet as a whole as it is heating due to the destruction of climate change driven forward 
by the system of capitalism imperialism. So I've, if you missed all that, I'm not surprised if you also missed some of the scientific undergirdings of it. But to be fair, I will walk through it again. I speak about black people in a very pronounced way when we come to revolution because the exploitation, the enslavement, the dehumanization and the, and the and the degradation that's been inflicted on black people is foundational to this society and this system. And that is scientifically a fact. It's evidence-based. The wealth of this country, the territorial reach of this country, the military strength of this country got its roots in American slavery, the chattel slavery of black people. And then on that foundation, the ideology of white supremacy, of black inferiority, has, was propagated it was made a, a, a bedrock of one of the glues of this society, and it has been woven into this society ever since. The forms of oppression have changed. It took a civil war to end slavery, but then what happened? After not even 10 years of reconstruction, where black people were brought into some rights within this country, that was betrayed. The troops were pulled out, and black people were re-enslaved in new conditions, slavery by another name, sharecropping for generations, surf-like conditions enforced through terror, lynch mob terror and violence. And the troops were pulled out to go and finish off the extermination of the native peoples, okay? Then, another generation comes up in the face of changes in the U.S. economy and the need to pull black people out of the South and into the factories. Black people stood up and they waged struggle in a civil rights movement. They gave their lives, they stood up. White people stood with them. They went down from the north and stood with them. This upended Jim Crow. It was heroic that many did just unbelievably brave things. And then that was dismantled. And what did this system come back with? A new Jim Crow of mass incarceration that has ground up millions of black lives. So when I tell the story, this is science, when I tell the story of a black woman in Harlem with binoculars next to her window watching in terror every time her 12-year-old, 13-year-old son crosses the street because of what police do every day, every day to black people, every f***ing day. When I talk about that, that is a particular that concentrates a huge reality that is defining to this country. And that's scientifically true. It's evidence-based. It's woven into the fabric of this society. It's culture, it's economics, and it's global reach. And so we could debate. If you want to argue that's not scientific, bring some evidence. If you didn't hear the science, then please. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me that it's a marginal thing. Tell me that to talk about that, I'm pimping off of it. I'm acknowledging reality. You want to say it's not defining to this country that we shouldn't talk about it? I want you to talk about it. I am talking about it, yeah. Okay, so, just the fact that something actually happened or is true, yeah. doesn't, anything that's empirically based is not science, right? It's, not, it's, like, it's like saying anything that's true is a scientifically, like, it's science, it's not. So, you, I understand Okay, okay, let me, let me help, let me help. Oh, go ahead. Maybe he should get the mic. I understand that your, your, your point is I want to be building arguments based on reason and rationale. Here, take the mic just so it gets I you. understand that your point is I want to be building arguments on reason and rationale, but that doesn't mean that it's scientific, and, and that doesn't mean that it's, it's false or wrong. Okay. I'm saying that um, the validity of your argument doesn't increase by throwing the word science out. It's well, all I, I, okay, so I would, I would argue that science actually can be applied 
to all of reality, mm -hmm. not just narrowly in engineering or in the natural sciences. No, this is important. What you're raising is widely felt, it's widely believed, it's widely taught, I'm sure, on this campus, that you can apply science to medicine, to nature, to the natural world. There's the hard sciences. But when you get to social reality, it's just opinions, it's experience, whatever. No. You can apply science to everything. Everything that is part of reality, which societies are, can be analyzed scientifically. Yeah. All science means, in a universal sense, is it, it's an evidence-based process. You gather evidence about reality, and you look for the deeper causes of the patterns in reality. And you can apply that to a society, just like you can apply it to a rainforest, just like you can apply it to a virus. You can say, what is the most defining thing about any given society? What undergirds it? What are the laws and its functioning? And a scientific analysis of this society says the most defining thing about this country is it's a capitalist, imperialist mode of production. That all of our needs are met through exploitation and people laboring in conditions all over the world to get the food we need, the clothes we wear, the pens we use, the microphones. All of this is created through global networks of production. And that all of our cultures, all of our ways of living, all of our ways of relating grow out of and have to reflect and, and, and more or less correspond to that. And so when we live in a society that where the exploitation and oppression of black people has been woven into that mode of production all the way down to today, it leads to the culture and the society and the kind of police terror that we have today. That's, that's applying science to a social contradiction. And so that's one example. I, there was other questions he raised. You want to say something? Yeah, and in, in an unscientific approach to society would say, look, here in America, we're all a bunch of individuals. You know, there's some social mobility. It's not like uh, under feudalism, right? Where, you know, you're born, you're a peasant, you're born a peasant, you die a peasant, or you're born a noble. Under capitalism, there's a little bit of social mobility. So, hey, Jay-Z, you know, he made it. He's, he's a billionaire. So therefore, in America, anyone can make it. No, that would be a, and, and this is some great victory for black people, right? Jay-Z, a great victory for black people, big pimpin'. That's a great, a great role model for, 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 oppre for oppressed people. You know, this is, this is how they fool you. This is how they fool you in this society. You know, they say, oh, in America, anyone can make it. This system is grinding up the lives of the masses of people. It's a capitalist system with white supremacy built into it. The masses of people are being, having their lives terrorized and ground up here and even more so all over the world. And yet they hold up these few individuals who make it and say, look, in America, anyone can make it. And then they use that to say, oh, if you didn't make it, it's your own fault. And yeah. this is how people like Jay-Z, and she gave the example of Barack Obama, this is how they get used. In some ways, Obama was worse for black people than George Bush was. Obama got up there and said, and, and on Father's Day, and blamed black people for not pulling up their pants and not being, and being absent fathers. Mm -hmm. You know, he got up there after the police broke Freddie Gray's neck in Baltimore and called the people who stood up, you know, who stood up in the streets, he called them thugs. Imagine if Bush had done that. Imagine if Trump had done that. Everyone would say, it's a fucking racist ass thing to say. You know, but, but Obama could get away with it. See, this is how they use people like this. And if you're, if you're putting forward these people as models and examples, anyone can make it, then you're getting played by the system and you're taking an unscientific approach. Okay. This is the Michael Slate Show. I'm Sansara Taylor. And right now we've been listening to the question and answer period 
of a very uh, wild and woolly and exciting event, a talk that I gave two weeks ago at UCLA called Woke Lunacy versus Real Revolution. We broadcast the full speech last week, and this week we're bringing to you the questions posed by the students and others in the audience and the discussion that that opened up. So anyway, we need people. You go ahead and make an argument. We'll have a back and forth. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I appreciate the meeting today. Uh, my question is, Speaker, considering the current living conditions many Americans endure and the disregard by the current Biden administration, such as inflation, housing, gas, and food, all while sending $80 billion to fund a war 5,000 miles away that brings us closer to nuclear annihilation, and with the backing of figures like Bernie Sanders and Republican neocons like Lindsey Graham, Mike Pompeo, and Ron DeSantis, shouldn't the American people seriously consider seeking a 2024 election candidate who breaks free from the conventional Democrat and Republican status quo? After all, we need to stop nuclear escalation, give power to a movement by and for the working American people and uh, who are against the elites a movement so vocal against the ruling class that they are enemy public number one for the CIA and FBI. What if I told you that this movement, this revolution, is the MAGA movement? I would tell you that you're very wrong. The, look, you can list, I'll, I'll tell you, you can list, you can list a thousand and one things wrong with Biden. I mean, 1996 crime bill that is part of the mass incarceration, the fact that he is taking us and playing nuclear brinkman, brinksmanship with Russia in Ukraine and moving us closer to war with China. You can name a million things wrong with Biden, and it will not make that white supremacist, fascist feces, Donald Trump, a hero of the people. Yes. Okay? Donald Trump, who has said, and people have to take this seriously, this is a bunch of, you know, he has said, I'm running for, first of all, they carried out, they staged a coup attempt. And you know what a failed coup attempt is? It is a dress rehearsal. And very few of them face serious charges, and most of the people who stood up against that have now been purged from the Republican Party. And when Donald Trump was at CNN Town Hall, he said, I will be your retribution. I'm coming back, I will be your retribution in 2024. He again refused to accept an election he loses, and he has a social base that is even more armed to the teeth, even more fanatical, even more ready to use violence to, to purge America of those they deem less than human. Donald Trump once again upheld ripping children from their parents' arms and caging them in that town hall. These are crimes against humanity. And they are being prepared in the offing right now. And the people in this country and all the decent people in this room better take note. When I say we need to make a choice because radical change is coming one way or the other, I'm not challenging you to step into the revolution as a lifestyle choice, as a timeless thing. Get into this because this is our thing. We need to build it up. We are moving in a very dangerous direction that this man just spoke about, MAGA. MAGA, the guy who said he wanted to take the troops and shoot protesters during Black Lives Matter, MAGA, with the Republican Abbott governor in Texas who just pardoned a guy 
who shot and killed and was convicted of murder for killing somebody who stood up in the Black Lives Matter protest, convicted in a Texas court of murder. And he said, I'm gonna pardon you. Giving the green light to that kind of slaughter. This is what one half the country is preparing for. And the other half the country, and this is why we have to struggle against this woke is caught up canceling each other over pronouns, obsessing with their feelings and their identities, and seeking safe spaces and trigger warnings, which are bullshit. There is no safe space in a nuclear war. There is no safe space in a fascist America. And there is no safe space for most people on this planet today. So I'm challenging those of you who are not deluded into MAGA bullshit. <laughs> To actually step into the revolution and spread this revolution, get organized with this now, while we still have a chance, while we have an opportunity to wrench this in a different direction, I'm putting that challenge very much to all of you who are still sorting out your thinking to sign up tonight, to get organized with us, to get into this, we are the Revcom statement, to spread it to join the Revolution Club, to join this tour and help spread this tour, because we have to wake up so many others in this country who are sleeping through this right now. So that's what I want to say about that. You want to yeah. say anything? We'll no, go to another question. Um, I kind of want to get this guy in the t-shirt, and then we'll come in front. Yeah, they both got t-shirts. Okay. No, the grayish, purplish, bluish t-shirt and the ponytail. There we go. And then we'll come down in front. <laughs> um, I, I appreciated um, everything you said against the woke ideology. Um, my first comment is I d still don't really see the connection between anti-wokeism and communism. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, uh, you are very correct in espousing an evidence-based approach to pretty much everything, especially policy. So what is the evidence that communism is a better form of government than what we currently have? Okay, those are two very good questions, thank you. Um, the reason, okay, first on the relationship between woke and communism. Yeah, yeah, anti-woke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, anti-wokeism and communism is woke right now today in this society among decent people among people who actually do care about white supremacy, who oppose it, who don't care about it with a kind of a happy feeling, but care about it like they actually know this is a horror, who care about what's being done to women, who care about the planet, the health of the environment and the ecosystems, the, people, the decent people. Wokeism is the dominant form of accommodation to this system. And it is the dominant form of intimidation of people from standing up against this system. And that's why we have to take it on. Because people as they are right now, the decent people really are caught up in, and it's, it's, in, it's like an infestation on the college campuses in hiding from reality. That's why I gave the examples of him taking this poster out. And the students, instead of saying, let's stand up and fight to stop this, they said, get off our campus, you're upsetting me. You know, a few years back at Antioch, a man who made a film about Juanita Young, whose son Malcolm Ferguson was killed by police, went to Antioch College, showed this film. And this was before the big uprisings that people where this made it in everybody's public conscience. And it was the first time these students were hearing about this horrendous murder that's so systematic and systemic. 
And instead of getting into that and what needs to be done, instead they all debated the fact and decided that this white filmmaker had no right to make the film. And that's all they wanted to talk about. It's a form of avoiding the struggle. And avoiding the fact that it does take struggle, it does take risk, it does take getting out of your comfort zone. And it does take thinking scientifically. And the other thing that, about wokeism, and it flows out of the relativism, the postmodernism that is so um, almost universally taught and enforced, is there is a denial of objective reality. It is where I began, that objective reality is part of white supremacist culture, that it's a white European male construct, that it's a form of violence to say that we all have to be evidence-based in what we're saying. Let's just go with the experience and worship the experience of the oppressed. And it's intersectionality, centering the marginalized. Yes, people experience intersecting forms of oppression. That's true. Just like people with diseases might have intersecting diseases and symptoms. But that doesn't tell you anything about what's giving rise to it, what's beneath the surface. And the whole framework of postmodernism, intersectionality, and in its virulent form, wokeism, is anti-scientific. It is against looking beneath the surface. It is, and the wokeism is anti-rational because it shuts down discourse. Who are you to say that? You're not XYZ identity. It's like the guy who wrote the article saying, actually, James Webb wasn't a homophobe. Here's the evidence. I looked it up. It's a misquote. I found the evidence. It was from this other person. They, instead of going, oh, wow, we had the wrong guy, somebody wrote an article against him like three days later that said, the straights are here to save us, and said he had no right to speak about it because he wasn't gay. It's anti-rational. It's an so this is, it's both anti-rational, anti-scientific, that's one, not both. It's both anti-scientific and it's anti-revolutionary because it's about fighting for your, a place within this system rather than looking at the roots of this oppression and the need to overthrow this system. So, which brings me to the second question you asked, very well placed. Um, what is the evidence that communism would be a better system? And it is because every society <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you a brief answer, but I'm going to invite you to, to search for the answer. And it's serious and it's important that there is a search, because this is another thing that's been lied about, maligned, distorted. Not a surprise in a capitalist society that's threatened by this. Um, the, the fundamental problem in the world today, at the base of everything, is that, or the most defining thing about human societies is we have to reproduce the requirements of life. Food, clothing, shelter. New generations have to be reared. Every society, every human society, that's the most fundamental thing about it. We live today, and then culture grows up on that foundation. Belief systems, relations, ideas, moralities flow out of and reflect that. Today, we live in a capitalist, imperialist society where the fundamental contradiction of this world, for the first time in human history, is not that there's scarcity. There's enough to meet the needs of all of humanity, to feed, clothe, shelter, and to have a lively and enriched intellectual, cultural, and social life for everybody, too. The only reason it doesn't happen is that the massive means of production, the networks of, of production and transport and communication and technology, they are worked by millions, socially. Billions come together to work to produce all of these things. But what is produced is owned privately by capitalist imperialist, uh, by capitalists, enforced by a capitalist imperialist system and backed up by laws that are enforced by armies and police. So you have the abundance, but it's privately appropriated and that's enforced by a state.
by overthrowing that state, by overthrowing that system, by implementing a radically different system, you can un unleash those same networks of production, those, that same productive capacity in a different way towards meeting people's social needs, not towards private appropriation. And you can do it by unleashing the most important resource of all, which is human beings who are thrown away and discarded in their creative capacities. And so socialism on the road to communism is a, is a system that is based on that socialized production for the social well-being of, of the society and the world. And then how you go about running that society and uprooting all the leftovers of this society, how it's trained people to think and act, uh, how you have new laws, how you have new culture, how you have new media, how you have new education, all that and more is spelled out in this constitution. It's very lively, very, including a lot of encouragement for debate and critical evaluation because you need that challenge from every, every direction and everybody participating in that. So it's, it's a bigger answer. To really answer it, you're right, you'd have to put your, but it's a, it's, I'm trying to give you a piece of it and invite you to read this constitution and do hold it up against the U.S. exploiters version, I mean the U.S. exploiters constitution. And also on the website, revcom.us right now, Bob Avakian just republished a piece that breaks down the U.S. constitution and how it is not only written by slave owners but always and can only protect relations of exploitation. It's a very profound piece. I would invite you to dig into that. Come to Louval tomorrow, talk more. It couldn't be a more important question. You are listening to The Michael Slate Show. We're going to take a short musical break and be right back. Para mi querida tía María, te quedaste en México. Para los niños en la frontera. Trying to look past this thing that's between us. Wondering when all this anger will fade The stars look the same from where we are standing Why can't we fix this mess we've made? Let's not forget that our fates are as one Just because we feel numb and betrayed There is love, there must be Something good, something strong between you and me there is hope, we must try If we don't, we'll regret it the rest of our lives Side by side, forever You and me, we are stronger together Hoping to find a path to forgiveness Knowing that pride always gets in the way We all want a place where it's safe to be human The welcome embrace of a brand new day Let's not allow what we have to be lost Just because of what someone might say There is love, there must be Something good, something strong between you and me There is hope, we must try If we don't, we'll regret it The rest of our lives side by side Forever, you and me, we are stronger together. Something good, something strong between you 
are stronger together. There is love. There must be. Um, we'll go here, and then we'll go there. Hi. Uh I'd like to start by saying I've agreed with a lot of the talk, and a lot of the points were very well placed. Um, but I do have some concerns as to pushing back too much on wokeness and losing some of the potential good. For example, like when it comes to a problem of identity, it's a problem that you, you pit uh, identity politics, generally, or wokeness, against the idea of objective reality. And what I argue maybe is that an objective reality is something that is, is real, right? But is not necessarily easily accessible. And uh, upholding identity can be a useful heuristic towards voices that are necessarily less heard, could be better heard in order to get to a better objective reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think another thing is that uh, many people have argued that uh, this idea of stepping out of your safe space, and this is something I fundamentally agree with, that we need to be able to step out of our safe space. But also, I think as a matter of strategy, there are those who are simply better able to step out of their safe space, and it is when their safe space is not as threatened as others, I think. So if we... I think there is something to be said about recognition that it, there is, it is, hard, it is harder for someone who is more oppressed to step out of their safe space. And I think that's something that can be overlooked in discussions about the excesses of wokeness is that space needs to be made for comrades who find it more difficult because of their situation mm -hmm. to step out and learn this reality. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I wanna, respond to what you're saying this way. Um, it is absolutely the case that there are people, oppressed people, whose voices and experiences have been erased, suppressed, distorted, lied about, and it is profoundly important that we hear those voices and learn from those experiences. That's why I gave the example, I mean, in the speech, there's many that could be given of this woman in Harlem, and I said everybody should learn from that experience. It matters when the parents whose children have been killed by police speak about that and tell and expose that to the world. Everybody should hear those experiences and those voices. And the, and the institutional forces and the cultural forces that have suppressed the voices of the oppressed and the stories of the oppressed and the histories of the oppressed need to be fought against. So that part is very important. But where identity politics and wokeism goes wrong and why it needs to be fought is that it tells you you have to stop there. And that then all you can do is follow the experience of the oppressed. But just because you're oppressed does not mean you know where that oppression comes from, what gave rise to it, how it should be ended, what it will take. Most people have no idea. That takes science for everyone. Now, oppressed people, just like anybody else, can take up the tools of science, but there's a struggle between communism and rationality and scientific thinking on the one hand and wokeism on the other, which is actually not just fails to look beneath the surface, but opposes that. 
And this is where it does great harm. And you do see people you know, shouting down others, canceling others, refusing to, to look at the evidence they marshaled because of their identity. And that's destructive. So that was one part of it. You also raised... Um, safe spaces. Oh, safe spaces. It is absolutely the case that some people face much higher risk. When Sean Bell was killed by police, most of you are probably, probably way too young. Some of you probably weren't even born. He was shot 50 times on his wedding day in Queens, Jamaica, Queens, black man. Um, when he was killed by police, we went out, the Rev comms went out to the neighborhood that he w was killed in and that he lived in, and we organized people. You were part of that, right? Noche Diaz was a big part of that. Um, to stand up against that. And one of the most striking things at the time was that all these young black women came out. And none of the black men came out, young black men. And as we talked to them, because a lot, they were furious. They hated this. But as we talked to them, they all had uh, charges hanging over them. So if they got picked up, you know, you get picked up at a protest. Maybe if you're a student, it's, it, it's something that's an inconvenience. You want to fight it. But it's not going to threaten your whole life, most likely. But these guys, it could be 15 years. It could be life. It was, it, you know, they're facing charges already. So it was much more risky for them to get involved. And ways did need to be found for them to get involved in the revolution and in this struggle that didn't have the same immediate risks for them. And people who don't face those risks so immediately need to step out there and join that fight, which is why it's so destructive to tell white people, stay in your lane, that's not your place. It's why it's so destructive to tell everybody, don't concern yourself with oppression that doesn't affect you directly. We need a movement of people that is stepping up and taking and putting ourselves on the line, not retreating from it. So those unevennesses... Those unevennesses are very real and very profound, and we have to have the maturity to traverse them together. But the goal cannot be realized of safe space for anybody in this system. And so while we should take into account those unevennesses and people need to put it on the line and take greater risk where they have more ability to do so, everybody has to put it on the line in one way or the other because this world, there are things bigger than one's safety much bigger than, than any individual safety. And in, you know, in the struggles Bob Avakian, I quoted from him, in any real struggle against real oppression, people stand up and they sacrifice. There are many Black Panther Party leaders and fighters who gave their lives. There are many people in the fight in the, for civil rights who gave their lives, and it was right. There were many people who gave their lives in 2020 uprising against the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and it was a righteous thing. It was a, it was a life given that had meaning. We don't want that to happen, but that's because of the system that we live under that carries out this terror and repression. That violence is on them. And if we want that to stop, we can't hide from it. We have to get them off this system, off the face of the earth, and off the backs of humanity. Because every day that they go on, millions and millions of people, 1.9 million people in the prisons have no safe space. The millions of women who are pregnant and desperate right now in Kentucky and Texas and Florida, they don't have a safe space. So we have to step out of our comfort zones. And while we do that, we take into account these differences. But safe space as a goal is bankrupt, and it is an illusion. Because there is no safe space in a nuclear war. There is no safe space in a fascist America. And that's where we're headed. So we have to, we have to lift our sights, and we have to become much more daring. Um, this guy right here. 
Hello. So my first question is, why do you think wokeism, whatever you want to call it, uh, became the dominant way of thinking about these issues mm -hmm. compared to you know something else? Was it just luck, or was there something inevitable about you know yeah. wokeism that, uh, or yeah, was there something inherent in wokeism that kind of just made it inevitable? Mm -hmm. uh, and then my second question is. What is your guys' take on artificial intelligence and its its impact? Like, has it had any change and has it caused any change in the way that you think about your movement at all? Because it's, it's going to kill a lot of jobs. <laughs> That's true. Um, so uh, on AI, I am going to say if anybody wants to, we should do a salon and a chat sometime about it. We could have an open space. We could do a Zoom. We could find a way to explore it. I'd love to hear people's thinking on it. We are also processing how to understand this. There's a lot of learning going on in this. I'm not prepared to make a global statement about it, except that it is a profound change that we have to learn more about. Um, on your other question about why is wokeism the dominant form of of thinking and accommodation among the decent people. Was it inevitable? Where did it come from? Was it accident? I think it was neither total accident nor was it inevitable. Um, but I think there are at least two major, two, maybe three, or maybe two major reasons I could point to. One is that there has been, for quite some time, a rejection of and it, it corresponds with the defeat of revolutions in the last, in the, in the first stage of communist revolutions and of the revolutionary upsurges of the 1960s here and around the world. When those were defeated and people's sights were lowered, one of the things that people reached for instead and that got institutionalized in academia and in other places is a lot of relativism, identity politics, and postmodernism, which is, again, anti-scientific and anti-revolutionary. And this got, somebody shouted out, and I don't know where they're coming from, but they said it got institutional backing. It did. It's not the only thing that got institutional backing. So did a lot of really like right-wing fascist things. But this also got institutional backing. And so this has been the indoctrinated outlook for, for several generations now of, of you proceed from your identity, you proceed from you, standpoint epistemology, everybody has their own truth, there's no objective reality, or maybe there is, but you can never know it objectively. So all of this has been brewing, and then um, it combines with just the tremendous, profound parasitism of this country that feasts on and sits on the people of the world. I talk about where our clothes are made, where our food comes from, where the coltan in our cell phones come from, where it's assembled. This is global networks of exploitation and oppression. And you're sitting atop the food chain in this country. And you might care, and you might want to do something about it, but you're pretty comfortable. And doing something about it means you have to go up against real things. You have to struggle. You have to sacrifice. You have to put it on the line. And so this became a very, very convenient way of saying, I'm doing something, I'm changing words, I'm changing my tiny space. But you're sitting there cushioned and, and, and hiding from the larger things. So there's a lot of American chauvinism, a lot of American parasitism, a lot of American privilege, which is also why the wokesters never talk about American privilege and never fight against it. So this is, but it's, it, so these are two big things that came together. And I guess the third I will say is that we are now, especially in this time of rapid change, 
of, as he said, uh, pre-Civil War conditions in this country, of the country ripping apart in major ways, of major laws and changes in society. The, the fascists are armed to the teeth and preparing for and hungering for a civil war and a purge of all those that they deem subhuman. Black people, immigrants, women who are uppity, LGBT people, trans people, they're speaking in genocidal terms and they're deadly serious. And in the face of that, there's an even greater freak out among the decent when they don't have the scientific tools they need and they don't know that there is actually a different way the world could be. They don't know about the revolutionary way out. They don't know about the new society that's possible. They don't know about the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakin, who spent 50 years forging this science and putting himself to figuring out how we could actually win a revolution, what we would replace this with learning from the past struggles to do better, including the approach to science. And so they don't know this, so they are even more freaking out and, and, and getting this, you know, I described the dynamic where the more that the fascists lash out, the more the wokesters freak out and, and get more and more fanatical and the decent people get silent in the middle. But we have to change that. And I think right now, and I don't know how much longer we want to go, but I want to say right now, it is not only extremely destructive, the fascists love this woke. They love the way the decent people are cannibalizing each other and are soft prey, easy kill. Steve King, the fascist former congressman from Iowa, Bob Avakian quoted him in a tweet. He said, look, a lot of people are talking about civil war these days. Well, one side has eight trillion bullets and the other side can't figure out what bathroom to use. Now that has a lot of anti-trans slander that's up. But unfortunately, there's too much truth to it too where our side is, is caught up in a lot of in, like bullshit, easy prey, easy kill. And we have to change this. We have to change this rapidly. And I believe not only is there a heightened need, but in this time of great convulsive change, when a lot of questions are being forced upon people, we have the opportunity to change this rapidly. And that's what we're trying to do with this speaking tour. We're trying to take it on head on not just on this campus and then another campus and then another campus. We want this to become a pole in society for all the people who feel sad on and who really want to know a way out. And we want to fight to spread this tour, to spread the news of this revolution, to spread this is a whole breakdown of what the revolution's about and the mechanism for making it. And on the back, it has these resources. This needs to get out by the millions. And everybody here needs to play a role in it, learning, spreading it. It says. Watch the interviews we did with Bob Avakian. You've never seen a revolutionary leader like this. The heart, the humanity, the humor, the hardcore determination to make a revolution, the far-sightedness, the vision. This is an incredible interview. Watch it. it. Says about who he is. Get with the Revolution Club. It has connecting material. This we have to take this everywhere, and we have to take this tour everywhere because there's a moment where when the rulers are divided, we could actually have a go at bringing forward the people to bring this system down. And so that's, you asked about wokeism and what led to it, and I'm describing that, but I'm also saying the very conditions that led wokeism to go kind of out of control hysterical right now, both require and make possible, those same conditions make possible this revolution growing in a out of control way too, but only if we fight for it now. So that's my challenge to everybody here. All right, so we have reached the end of the uh, question and answer portion from the major talk that I gave two weeks ago at UCLA called Woke Lunacy, 
versus real revolution. And in that final answer, I give a sense of what has given rise to this woke lunacy, this retreat from reality, this hiding in the privilege of American parasitism while the world is being torn up and society is hurtling right now towards a fascist nightmare. But how the very conditions that gave rise to this woke lunacy going so out of control and getting more and more fanatical and spreading are the same conditions out of which leaps and bounds towards making a real revolution could be wrenched because the ground is moving. This is a time of major change, convulsive change, radical change one way or the other for the future. And now is the time to lift our sights, to dare to dream of a whole emancipated humanity and world, to dare to fight to get the scientific grounding and understanding of how that could be made possible, looking at the system that's the source of the oppression, capitalism, imperialism, and the possibility of a real revolution. So in addition to uh, you know, appreciating and thanking you for spending the hour with me, I want to let you know that there's an a, a incredible body of work and analysis from Bob Avakian getting into this rare time when revolution is more possible and really going at the harm of this woke lunacy and bringing to bear science in opposition and a strategic approach to real revolution. This is what I was drawing from in the talk and in the Q&A you just heard. That work is available at revcom.us. And I want to send you out today with a beautiful piece of spoken word poetry and a call to really hope and dare and seek and fight for a whole different world from Baba Bacon. It is called All Played Out. And... William Parker, the incredible jazz bassist, uh, lays down a bed of music underneath it. It's a beautiful combo, and I will send you out with that until next week. This is the Michael Slate Show. Listen up. All played out. We must broadly unite to carry out the fight to resist the crimes of this system. But on the real, revolution is the only solution. So we need to call out things whose time has run out, which keep people in chains, suffering unbearable pain. These things are all played out. Capitalist vultures, big time and worldwide exploiters, preaching about personal responsibility, ranting about predators and criminality, terrorizing the youth in the inner cities, while you loot everywhere you see, slaughter people and rain destruction crimes untold, all to enforce your rule and amass your gold on the backs of billions, chaining them in slavery new and old. Your time in history, it's gone. It's all played out. Men thinking it's their right to order women around and misuse them, to degrade and abuse them, talking all that talk about bitches and hoes, and if she's pregnant, she can't have an abortion because she should have kept her legs closed. Assertion of manhood or talk of protecting womanhood, which still means keeping women subordinated and dominated. All this garbage about women being less than man, less than fully human, that's all laid out. Disrespecting people who love someone of the same sex, treating them as objects of contempt, dogging them, beating them down for being different. Religious tradition encoding oppression, authority invoked to enforce suppression of sexuality and forms that are outside the norms that are proclaimed natural and God-ordained, norms that in reality enforce exploitation 